Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Omis, episode 116. Hey, Richers, how are you? It's so great to be here today with you again. Today I have a special guest, but also a special interview. Our guest today, Phil Friedman, was recommended to me by another special guest and a dear colleague of mine, Don Philpatt. I find it extraordinary story, although a lot of the stories here are kind of fairy tales, aren't they? However, Phil started his career as a professor for philosophy, and today, for more than 25 years, he is a consultant in the yacht building industry, and he is also a very respectable social media expert. This interview with Phil reached new angles, especially about entrepreneurship and social media. So I decided to divide it to two parts in order for you to fully enjoy the insights and I think the interesting discussion with Phil from each part. I look forward to hear your thoughts about this first time two parts interview. I'll be here next week with the second part. Phil Friedman, Marine Industry Consultant. Phil Friedman has a long and varied background in the marine industry as a yacht builder, boat and shipyard manager, small business and startup advisor, and yachting writer and editor. As managing director of the Port Royal Group, he provides clients with the benefit of his intimate knowledge of yacht construction major refit and repair, surveying, damage assessment, estimating, contract negotiation, and dispatch resolution. Phil was for several years a president and CEO of Palmer Johnson Yachts, during which time the company, under his supervision, developed, built, and fitted nearly two dozen luxury mega-yachts in the 30 to 60 meters range. During his multi-year tenure as senior editor of Power and Motor Yacht magazine, Phil tested and evaluated hundreds of yachts worldwide. He has published more than 120 articles on yacht design, construction, repair, and maintenance, and his recently published an e-book, 10 Golden Rules for Successful New Build Projects, has received wide acclaim from industry professionals. Phil Friedman, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm so great, and I'm so happy that we are talking. I am as well. <laughs> That's great. I just shared with my listeners, our listeners, what you've done until now, and I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? Well, I'm presently continuing actively as a consultant in the yacht building industry, which I've done for some 
25 plus years. Wow. I never heard of someone that does that. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, well, there are others, of course. Sure. But uh, I uh, have made, uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to make my way in the world and make a living uh, doing what I probably would have been doing if I didn't have to earn a living. So uh, I'm very happy to be one of those few people who do what I do. My latest project is managing the startup in Fuzhou, China, of two new motor yacht lines for export primarily to the U.S. and Canadian markets. Wow. Uh, I also continue to write actively as a, in yachting-related marketing, and uh, I write feature material on a freelance basis for both print and digital publishing sectors. Uh, after some 30 years in these two fields, I thought I was on the verge of retirement, but for whatever reason, my business is surging again. <laughs> so while I don't know exactly where I'm headed, I'm sure it's not into retirement, which I really don't mind because I really love what I do. So there I am. It sounds fantastic. You talked about the two fields. What are the two fields? Well, I am a technical and business consultant. Yeah. And uh, I provide management, project planning and management to people who are either building or buying yachts or having yachts built. And I'm an active writer. I've written and published in most of the national and international yachting magazines, both in uh, print and in digital. How did it happen? How did it all start? How you started to be a yacht consultant? Well, it's an odd story. I was an academic at the time. I was actually teaching philosophy at university and oh. feeling, for want of a better term, uh, frustrated and unfulfilled. The abstract uh, nature of uh, philosophical discussion can be daunting. And in fact, most of my colleagues uh, with whom I've kept in touch over the years have taken on other activities as well, more concrete activities. In any event, uh, I was very interested in sailing as a pastime and a sport. And I felt a strong attraction to the art and craft of yacht design and boat building. So I studied yacht design by mail, and I audited uh, several courses at a nearby college in basic structural engineering and mechanical engineering. And uh, began accepting any... Wow. So you weren't mechanical engineer before? No. I was a philosopher. <laughs> Just a philosopher? Yes, that's correct. I was a philosopher. So how this idea... I, I understand the change because I can understand why just talking about philosophy might be not fulfilling, although I love philosophy as well. However, why yeah? How did it come there? Well, I mean, I always had a, an aptitude or a propensity for mechanical work and for buildings. And somewhere deep in my background, I uh, harbored a, a desire to be a designer. And uh, hmm. so this was a kind of natural expression of that. I uh, took stock of where my life was headed and decided to change directions. And so I just jumped in both feet and decided to become a yacht designer and a boat builder. It sounds very natural when it comes from you, but it's a very unique professional. And it's very interesting because actually it's a world that's a bit different, I think, when you're talking about yacht. It's not only the product itself, isn't it? It's a whole world around that. It's a whole status world around that, isn't it? Well, yes, yeah. Uh, 
yacht ownership involves much more than simply owning a boat or owning a yacht. It really involves uh, and participating in a subculture. And that's what's attractive for many people. And particularly if you think about the amount of time and energy and money that some buyers of yachts put into having their yachts built, you, you realize that it's what they're interested in is the process as much as the result. Hmm. Who are your customers? Well, uh, I have a range of customers that I've developed over the years. Um, I provide services, consulting services, to yacht builders who are looking to improve their processes, uh, who may be looking to manage a particular project. And I also have, uh, among my clients, I have people who are seeking to have yachts built and need independent third-party advice on getting that done and uh, help with uh, managing the project to make sure that uh, they come out at the other end with something that they want and uh, at a price that they agreed on and that they get what they uh, contracted for. Are there brands for yacht builders? Are there big factories? How does it go? Well, yeah, there are what we call production builders who, who build yachts on a regular basis, uh, which they then sell. There are also what we call custom shipyards, where they don't build anything unless they already take an order for it. Okay. Then they build to order. Mm-hmm. You not only became a yak designer and consultant and writer one day, you actually became an entrepreneur one day because you were in the university before that. How that happened? I mean, did you decide that you want to do something for yourself or it came with the yak idea? I think it's something that it basically evolved that I went to work for myself uh, because... I wanted to pursue certain activities, and having already been through school once and trained for a profession, I didn't want to I was not about to start all over again at the bottom, so to speak. Uh, I wanted to jump right in and do things that might take if you started again as a neophyte uh, might take years to achieve. So yes, uh, I did make a decision to go into business for myself. You know, this podcast is all about helping entrepreneurs build in a successful entrepreneurial business, and it's all about focusing their customers. And I want to ask you, what would be your best advice to entrepreneurs regarding their customer approach or focus? So anything that has to do with their marketing or sales? Well, this is a pet subject of mine on which I've written uh, at times. in a consulting capacity oh. for some businesses. I think it's critical to understand the difference between customer relations management and customer service. Oh. As I see it, customer relations management has to do with impressions and appearances. That is managing how a customer feels about his or her experience with you, mm-hmm. whether he or she feels attended to and understood and so on. But customer service has to do with reality. With actually delivering the goods and services that you've promised and you've charged for, and it's ultimately customer service that I believe that makes or breaks a company. You know, all the birthday cards and chatty email notes in the world cannot <laughs> replace delivering what you promised in terms of quality goods or services and delivering what you've charged your customer or client for. 
how people hear about you. There is another part before promising and make the promise work and deliver the good or deliver what you promised. The part that get the interest from the clients and get the order. So how do you build yourself as known in this field? That's why I pursued as an adjunct to what I was doing as a designer and a boat builder and a marine business entrepreneur. That's why I began a parallel career as a yachting writer. That gave me an opportunity to gain exposure in the market that I wanted to reach. I had switched over. I was doing some design work, and I had a small boat shop uh, on the Lake Erie shore yeah. in Canada. And um, I had an opportunity to uh, take over as, a, as the manager of a small marina that had, had about 75 slips for yachts or boats in it. And at that time, I, was, uh, I had an opportunity to begin to write for Canadian Yachting, yeah. put a monthly column on yacht maintenance and construction. And I, uh, I started writing that column. And as a result of the exposure I received there, I got an offer. And because I had a background as an academic, I got an offer from a technology college in the Toronto area to uh, develop the curriculum for a new uh, program in marine business management. Okay a two-year post-secondary program. So I combined my academic background with my interest in the marine industry, hmm. and I created that program and coordinated it for a couple of years and continued to write. And as a result of the writing and the work as a teaching in that in that area, yeah. uh, I gained more exposure, and it, it took off from there. So when you're talking or when you're advising entrepreneurs to separate or look from different angles on customers' relations and delivering uh, the good or customer's service, what exactly, okay, so they will divide that, they will separate it on, or look at it differently, but what do you tell them to do different with the customer service? Oh, yeah, because it's important if you want to make a long-term success, you have to focus on not just keeping everybody happy, not just telling them what they want to hear. You have to focus on actually giving them what they're buying. Hmm. That's the important thing. You know, there are different situations. You know, I, I see a lot of startups. Yeah. There are two ways to look at entrepreneurship, okay? You can look at it as an activity where you undertake to create a business that you intend to establish on a longer-term basis that you expect will turn a profit yeah. uh, and provide jobs for people on an ongoing basis for a long time. Hmm. Or you can do what some entrepreneurs uh, do, which is basically see the startup as an end in itself with the goal being to, to do a, an IPO or a sellout, a quick sellout to a venture capital mm -hmm. and take a golden exit package and, and move on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and my point is, if you want to create a business that lasts and is stable over a long period of time, you have to focus on reality, not just appearances. Uh, hmm. you, know, you, have to, you have to actually make sure that your customer is taken care of and receives, or your client receives what he or she paid for and asked for. Not simply shake their hand and, and give them a hug once in a while and make them feel good. That's a matter of appearances, and I think 
more suited to activities where you really don't see like an attachment to the business on a long-term basis. I am so, I really, I love this answer and I agree with you so much. It's something that I'm trying to uh, talk about a lot for these 12 years, I guess. And I don't think it really matters whether you decided to raise funds or you decided, although a lot of new entrepreneurs are building their business from scratch and not taking other people's money. A lot of times I say that the best way that I know to gain money for your business is from your customers, your early customers. It's always the surest way. Sometimes you really need early fund to start your business. Now I wanted to ask you to share with us. I know you've got successes and we'll talk about it in a minute, but I want to ask you to share with us your biggest, most critical failure with customers. What was the one failure or one of the failures that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most? Well, I don't know if it was a failure so much, but um, I think I had a blind spot for a long time. Oh. And that is I failed to understand there's more to a consultant-client relationship because that's basically what I do. I offer consulting services, mm-hmm. which is to help people do something they are not necessarily expert in doing. Yeah. Which, by the way, amounts more often to helping them avoid the mistakes that they might make. Hmm, sure. And I can do that not because I'm so smart, but because I probably made all the mistakes they'll ever make already. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, and you had the privilege to see people that probably made the mistakes and then came to do it right yeah. the second time or the third or the fourth or the fifth. So, yeah. I guess you are bringing a lot of mistakes as an experience as well as successes, isn't it? Yes. But I, for a long time, thought that um, I didn't understand that there's more to the relationship than simply getting the job done. What do you mean? I began by thinking that all I had to do was do the job and do it well. And, uh, and it was only over a long period of time that I came to understand, to use a metaphor, you can build the best mousetrap in the world and the world will still not be the path to your door. Nobody will care. Hmm. You have to not only be able to do the work and do it successfully, but you have to market yourself or your product or your services. You have to market all the time and you have to market really well. So it wasn't until I understood that that I really began to make some, you know, make some serious headway towards my own goals. Hmm. I love that because it's not a specific failure, but it's something that changes the whole entrepreneurial direction, isn't it? Yes, yes. I think one of the things I suppose I've learned over the years is that the key to being an entrepreneur is, is in functioning as an entrepreneur is to be very flexible and have and really keep the overall picture in, in mind. Hmm. And now I would like you to share with us the story of your greatest, most significant, or one of the most significant successes as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. Well, probably my most significant success was when a, a client of mine, Andrew McKelvey, who was the founding chairman and principal shareholder of Monster.com, Andy purchased a uh, 
long-established world-class luxury shipyard. Hmm. And he asked me to join him as uh, president and CEO of the newly acquired company, oh. uh, which we eventually built to 600 employees at three locations across the U.S. Wow. And into about $100 million annual gross revenues. So, I mean, that was, uh, that was probably the most significant success that I've had, it's... and which came directly out of customer, my relations with one of my clients. And you get referral? That's the oh, yes. And he heard about you? Yes. Yeah, he was referred to me. But we had, I had done several projects for him over the years. And uh, when he wanted to buy this shipyard, he came to me and asked me if I would uh, participate in evaluating the purchase with one of his acquisitions people, uh, because he knew that he would get from me, he would get straight opinion uh, that I didn't, I wasn't going to tell him what I thought he wanted to hear. I would tell him what I really thought. And uh, I mean, and that sometimes, you know, that sometimes uh, that can bite you where you don't want it to bite you because some clients don't want to hear the truth. That's right. But I've always found you just take that for what it's worth. You, you cannot move forward by telling people just what they want to hear. If they've hired you for opinion, if they've hired you for help, you have to tell them the truth all the time, as you see it. I do agree with you on that. This is the end of the first part of my interview with Phil. Next week, I'll be here with the second part. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.